Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion. Uh, my name is Peter, and joining me today, you guys, a very special interview. A writer of the uh, Daniel LaRusso trilogy, The Karate Kid, is Mr. Robert Mark Kamen. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. It is uh, an honor and privilege to speak with you. Um, now, we do have a mutual friend. Uh, I, I wanted to get this out of the way real quick here. Uh, okay. I, I also had the, the uh, opportunity and pleasure to, uh, to speak with Drew Gasparini, and he wanted me to tell you that he loves you. <laughs> yeah, you know what Drew's doing. I do know what Drew's doing. And yeah, he tells everybody, so you yeah. obviously know what yeah, he's yeah. doing. We're, when, when we first heard about that, I go, well, I got to reach out to the guy who's making the music and find out about this. So uh, we're looking forward. We know that um, COVID has stopped the production, uh, the Broadway production right now, but um, I know a lot of us are looking forward to it. We're starting it. And I have to say, um, having lived with the Karate Kid for now 38 years from when I first wrote it, this is really exciting that to see it on stage, to see this thing come alive in that way is quite amazing. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Absolutely. And I, I can only imagine what it's like for you. Um, bizarre. So, <laughs> is it? Is, is pretty bizarre? It's pretty bizarre. This whole, this whole ride is pretty bizarre. Are, are you a musical guy at all? Um, um, I- no, but I've become a musical. My daughter is a musical theater nut. She's a musical theater kid, and she's also a screenwriter. And... Oh. Um, and, uh, sh- you know, uh, through her, I've gotten into this stuff. And now because of the Karate Kid, the musical, I've become totally immersed in the world and I'm obsessed. That's awesome. So, yeah. You, you've become a fan. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Just huge. You know, humming show tunes all the time. now. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, Kevin Derrick, a director of More Than Miyagi, put us in touch. Um, so what, uh, that movie just released about a month ago. Uh, can you talk about your involvement uh, with the film? Um, and have you gotten a chance to see it? With the documentary? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did see it. I didn't have any involvement except to be interviewed. Um, yeah. And the fact that um, I seem to have created this mini industry of... Uh, of this little sweet little film that I just wrote, you know, um, the day my daughter Allie with an eye was born, I started writing this film basically about, you know, my teacher, except my, my teacher was not kind and gentle to speak English, but he taught by example. And, um, uh, and I, I wrote this film, you know, figuring, oh, it's a nice little film. Maybe it'll do $30 million at the box office. And now we have, there have been two cartoons made of it. And now Cobra Kai has become this massive smash. Um, the, I, I have never met anybody who has not watched the original film. I've never met anybody who didn't see it. And they never, a lot of people never saw it on the big screen. Right. A lot of people saw it because... Um, of uh, cassette tapes, you know, DVDs, um, now streaming and, and the thing lives on and, you know, it's, and now a Broadway musical and now a documentary on Pat and, you know, it's, and, and it becomes, it has so proliferated, but internationally, so everywhere that I, I, I very often I scratch my head <laughs> and say, how did this happen? 
Well, the relationship uh, between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel is just, it, it's very magical. Um, I think there's a lot of relatability for people. Uh, my, my oldest son, he's 20. Uh, he, he's a fan, but my eight-year-old, he's obsessed I was going to say you were 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, thank you. No, um, but no, my eight-year-old, he's obsessed with the Karate Kid movies. He's obsessed with Cobra Kai. Um, and uh, part two is both his and my favorite. Uh, of, of that uh, Daniel tr trilogy, so um, it, it, it's it's a very classic story. And it's funny you say, Peter. It's funny you say the Daniel trilogy. Yeah, I tend to think of it as the Miyagi trilogy. <laughs> well, Miyagi continues on. So um, after the, the Daniel saga here, then we uh, I want to give credit to um, our friends over at Are You Karate Kidding Me who came up with Miyagi verse. So the Miyagi verse, right? Miyagi verse, yeah, yeah. I, that, to me, the soul, the heart and soul of, of the films is uh, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Um, he, he's what all of us want. Yes. Um, it, I, I've often said it on interviews and, and on our podcast as well. Like um, the reason that the, the movies resonated with me is because I didn't grow up with a grandfather figure around the house because they lived in other states. And so I would watch The Karate Kid and kind of pretend that Mr. Miyagi was my grandfather. Um, and so I especially love part two because on screen was um, many of the actors look just like me. Yes, except without uh, mustache and goatee. <laughs> Correct. Right, right. Uh, that, that wasn't quite in yet. Um, yeah. But the documentary, was there anything that surprised you that you hadn't learned yet about Pat? Uh, no, I, I spent a lot of time with Pat um, through all three films. And um, and then I saw him afterwards when he wasn't Pat. I would see him afterwards when he wasn't Mr. Miyagi um, at night. We would hang out. Like um, when we were in Hawaii, we, we would hang out at night and then go bar crawling and go, you know, running around. And he was just revered. Um, uh, Everywhere. I, we, I went to a sushi bar with my, uh, my wife and my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was Japanese. Mm. And we went to this, the best sushi bar in um, Honolulu. And she would only go there on special, special occasions. But I would go there whenever I felt like it. I, you know, to me, it wasn't <laughs> to her, it, was, it had to be special. And we walked in and there was a picture of Pat on the wall. And of course, he was beloved in Hawaii. And we sat down and she doesn't say anything. She was this very prim and proper Japanese lady, right? And we're sitting and we have sushi and we eat sushi. And, and um, she gets up and on the way out, on the way out, just as she was leaving, she turned around in Japanese and said, you know, my son-in-law wrote The Karate Kid and walked out the door. <laughs> and the, the, the sushi chefs behind the counter just literally, they're chopping, chopping. They literally all stopped. <laughs> and and looked at her and I walked outside with her. I said, why did you wait until the end? She said, I did not want to seem like I was bragging, <laughs> except she let it drop at the end. <laughs> That's it was, hilarious. It was very funny. Anyway, be, I just spent a lot of time with Pat. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, being in Hawaii and, and um, going out with him. Uh, I, you know, we had the chance to speak with Yuji uh, Okamoto a couple of times as well. And one of the stories he shared was that uh, he went out with Pat and Danny to um, kind of go, <laughs> so, so you may remember some of these stories. Yes. 
Yuji went, went out with them once, I think, and oh. was a little slow the next day. Yeah, I think that's the story. <laughs> that's the story. Yeah, they were hard to they were hard to keep up with both of them, and both of them had this drinking problem. Mm, you know? Wow! Except Pat handled it better than Danny. Mm, <laughs> Danny got Danny got rip roaring drunk. Oh Pat, wow! Pat Pat could you could never tell when he was and when he wasn't, yeah. except late at night when. Um, come inside. I'm sorry. My dog wants to be in the office. Um, uh, he, a Pat, I only found out later that, um, he would, uh, sometimes had been drinking when he was on camera. Mm -hmm. I, cause I could never tell. Yeah, that's what we learned from the film too. That he hit it really yeah. well, uh, and and it was really sad to hear the stories from from everybody. And the one that really stuck out with me was that thirtieth um, anniversary reunion for the Happy Days. Uh, right. You know everything that that, that happened then. Um, last December, you were on uh, Josh Gad's reunited apart. What was it like to share the screen with all the actors who played characters that you wrote? Oh, you mean that? Uh, well, um, one of the um, one of the Cobra Kai guys said to me, uh, said, how does it feel like being in a room with your children and grandchildren? <laughs> and I said, and the Cobra Kai actors, those kids don't know me at all. Right. And they also, they're also young. Uh, I mean, not Danny and uh, uh, Daniel and uh, Daniel, Ralph and Billy, right. but they only know the karate kid from watching it on DVD or, you know, on TV or something, and they don't know me at all. But all the other, like the other people from the production, who I haven't seen, I would see sporadically over the years, it was so familiar. And as I sat on that thing, I said, my God, what have I spawned? This is absolutely, this is a completely absurd. And to see Billy and Ralph, you know, over the years and watch them, they, they all grew up looking like they look, except they're slightly older. Mm -hmm. And to see them, they're the same people. I mean, they're just the people I knew. Um, and it was, it's kind of cool that we have this connection. And to spend time with Lisa, who I'm pretty close with, um, who, uh, you know, even though I don't see her a lot, I have a, a really great connection with her. I reminded her that I sent her and her husband to my favorite restaurant in Italy, where he proposed to her. Oh, nice. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> and, yeah. and for those that don't know, uh, Elizabeth Shue also goes by Lisa. Or is that what she goes by mainly? No, Elizabeth. Uh, I don't know. I call her I call her Lisa. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know her on a personal level um, because yeah. I think I started hearing like Ralph uh, referred to her as Lisa. And I think a lot of the fandom, we just know her as Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Shue. Right. Yeah, she was pissed off at me for a number of years for cutting her out of karate kid too. <laughs> oh yeah, I, we we've heard some of those stories. Um, yeah. Now I read that you tested for uh, your black belt at a dojo that was across the street from a strip mall. Um, kind of was in a strip mall. It was yeah. in the strip mall, so very very much like Cobra Kai. Um, can you talk about like some of your karate instructors and uh, you know their inspirations or influences uh, of you writing Kreese and Miyagi? Well, my my first teacher was um, uh, an ex-Marine. He was captain of the DIs in Paris Island, very tough guy, but very avuncular, very charming. And he also was an alcoholic. 
um, and um, and I went to he had a dojo out on Long Island. Uh, I had studied with him when he was uh, had a dojo in Queens and on Roosevelt Avenue. And um, I went to his dojo and we work out three, four hours. I was with my friend Dennis, who was my karate mate. And we went to a bar in Northport, Long Island in a strip mall. And it happened to be, you know, a working class bar, a lot of construction workers, a lot of that kind of thing, plumbers, electricians, and a bunch of big guys. And my teacher, Ed McGrath, starts hitting on this woman. Now he was married and, and I didn't know what the hell he was doing. And her boyfriend was standing there and he was like six, three, he was this mountain of a guy. And he gets in, in Sensei's face. And Sensei turns to me and said, Mr. Kamen, dispatch this man. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm this five foot six inch, 19 year old college student. <laughs> and the guy looks at me and, and says something. And the next thing I know, he grabs me. He just grabs me. And then it just went off. And it just went off. And so I, out of, you know, my reaction was he grabbed me. I did what I was taught to do. I put my hand down. I barred his hands. I pushed them down. And as I pushed them down, I came up with right hand with a back fist and I shattered his nose. And then it went off and there were three or four guys on us. And Dennis and I are fighting. And, and Sensei just steps back. And he's a six foot three inch guy too. He just steps back and I don't see him doing anything. And we're just bailing away, just spinning and turning. And Dennis and I used to do a lot of fighting um, because um, Ed McGrath was not big on kata, very big on fighting. And he taught us how to fight. And, and we're fighting, fighting, and we leave the bar. And like my nose is broken and I have a cracked rib and I'm just, you know, just it was horrible. And he takes me, we go to the parking lot and he's just talking about the fight, talking about the fight. And he, we go to his car and he had this big car, like a big Buick. And he picks up the trunk and he goes, kneel down. And I said, like, what the fuck? And, and I kneel down and he takes a black belt out of his trunk and he goes, Mr. Robert Kamen, you are now Shodan. And he hands me the black belt and bows. And, and you know, I was very taken. I, I got a black belt. I've been doing this for four years. And I got a black belt. And I was very taken. But at the same time, I'm stepping outside myself and saying, this is not normal. This is, there's something wrong with this picture. <laughs> uh, speaking of a picture, like, you know, like um, to, to achieve a black belt, you know, that, that's got to be, you know, you, you must have felt rewarded, uh, obviously, but um, with, with a broken nose and cracked rib, it, not, not very much a, a photographic moment. No, but it, it was just, it was nighttime, like 1030 <laughs> at night. And I'm kneeling down in a parking lot in Northport, Long Island in a strip mall. You know, it's not really the picture you get of, having a, uh, a Shihai and, and, and getting promoted and being in your gi and s kneeling in front of your teacher and your fellow students and being presented with your certificate and your black belt. And at, at that time, they didn't, it was very hard to get a black belt. There were very few karate schools and it, there was something um, spiritual about it. When well, there I am kneeling down in a parking lot at 1030 at night with blood on my shirt in front of a Buick with a trunk up. 
like what the fuck <laughs> it's quite it's quite something <clears throat> pardon me you'd probably only see something like that on an episode of cobra kai uh however, yeah however peter there's a line in karate kid where daniel says uh mr miyagi what belt are you and mr miyagi says jc penny 398 in okinawa you don't it means a belt means you don't need rope to hold up your pants and that's exact that I that's the lesson I took out of the parking lot. In reality, he didn't mean to teach me a lesson. He was drunk. He thought this was, you know, it was so informal. It didn't mean anything. And then years later, when I was in Okinawa, uh, I experienced sort of the same thing. Uh, not that way. But um, I was talking to a bunch of these uh, karate guys. And they, one of them said, I, I was I told them the story about getting my black belt and they were not, you know, it, it was the thing. And they said, you know, Shodan means first show is first. Right. And it means beginning. It means when you get that belt, you're just beginning. You're just beginning your journey. And so it is not the, um, the ceremony is really about, it's really an initiation. It is not a it's not a completion. It's a start. That's amazing. Which I have which I have learned, you know, years and years. I've been doing this stuff 53, 54 years, and every day I learn something new. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I I'm trying to um kind of piece the timeline together here. So so that that happened when you were about 19. At, at what point did you uh, go to Afghanistan? where I believe you is that where you decided? 1971. So just a few years later. And is that where you decided that you wanted to um, kind of become a screenwriter? No, no, no. I, it, um, I became a screenwriter by accident. I was mm. an academic on an academic track doing a PhD. Um, I wrote a novel about Afghanistan. Um, a cousin of mine knew a film director. He read the novel. He sent me some screenplays. I figured out the form. I wrote a screenplay. Six weeks later, Warner Brothers bought it. I became a screenwriter. I was really supposed to be teaching at a university, you know, seducing undergraduates. <laughs> I um, I spent a little time in Kabul uh, myself. Um, really? When? Uh, 2006. Oh, it was different than the Kabul I knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, I was there for, uh, I, was, I was serving um, a tour there. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, I... Um, so I, I, I was stationed in Kabul and we would make tricks to Bagram, uh, where there's an air force base. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I just, um, I have a screenplay. I just, my last screenplay I'll ever write about Afghanistan. Um, I've written four of them. None of them gotten made. Huh. And uh, this one, it starts at Bagram. Oh, interesting. And, and, and it's right out there in the world now it's with a big producer and he's trying to get a director. Well, uh, but it's a big, big action, obviously action thriller thing that takes place in Afghanistan present time. Um, and uh, wow, you were there when I was there. It, it, Kabul was nothing like the Kabul you saw. Nothing. Right. Yeah. There were only four paved streets in the city. You had paved streets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there were four of them. It was the capital of a country, and there were four paved streets. Yeah, it was, it was all dirt and sand and potholes. And every time we would drive, you know, like the, um, 
what was that Ace Ventura when nature calls where he's driving like this. That, that's kind of like what it was like for us. And we had to keep the windshield wipers on to keep, you know, uh, keep the sand off the windshield. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting country. I mean, it's ruined now. But uh, when I was there, it was pretty much, um, you know, a hippie playground. It was fantastic. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, now, you've worked on many projects with Luc Besson. Uh, can you talk about your relationship with him and how you two have been able to uh, collaborate on so many films? Um, yeah, what would you like to know? Like, it's a... It's a oh, just like, what, what is it 20, about him? 20-year relationship, and we're best friends, you know. It's, right. So, so what, what, what is it about Luke that, you know, I, 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 I'd imagine that makes it easy to work with him, that you keep going back to work with him? Well, it's easy for me to work with him. It, it's not going back. I, we love working together. He's a camera on legs. He is such an amazing visualist that he sees, he sees things. He doesn't intellectualize. He sees them. And in what he's seeing is the context of, of the film. And uh, I'm there to put words to it. You know, I'm there to sort of bring order to the vision. Oh, he's amazing. He's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's um, done a lot of films. And you have uh, script doctored a, a lot of, or was it script assassin? Is that what you um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Call, call, called yourself? That's me being a wise ass. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, if people were impressed with some of the things that they know you've done, like they should go look at your credits because um, there's things that w would definitely surprise you. Now, you just referred to um, Luc Besson as like a camera on or camera with legs. Now, now, yeah, John G. Alvinson always walked around with a camera. Can you talk about uh, the difference in styles? Um, John was not a visualist. John was a storyteller. John would tell a story with a camera. And um, whereas John would start with a script, Luke would start with a view, with a vision, mm. with what something looked like. John had needed a story. Um, Luke didn't. Luke also writes and he's a, you know, he's a very good, he's a really good writer. But for him, it's what does it look like? What does that scene look like? For John, it was what story am I telling? And, and yeah, John would always have a, 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 a viewfinder. And he, because he was looking to block a scene. He was looking to block a scene to put it in the context of a movie. He put a movie together based on pacing and story. Luke put a movie together based on vision and story. Mm. Mm, quite interesting. Completely different way of working with both right. of them. And they were both my great friends, but Luke is, Luke is an, endearing, uh, an endearing relationship. Um, now the character of Mr. Miyagi, uh, was he any different from um, yes. when you first wrote the script? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, when oh, I first oh. wrote the script? No. Yeah. No, Mr. Miyagi was, Pat was the living embodiment of Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Of, of my Mr. Miyagi. He was the living in, in, in embodiment of it. Listen, I wrote all those lines in the first movie. Pat made them three-dimensional. He made them live. I mean, you, can, I, you know, I can say to you, um, uh, a belt mean, means you don't need a rope to hold up your pants. And it sounds kind of cute, but when he said it, it became magic. Everything that came out of his mouth. And he told me he was channeling his father and his father's friends when he talked and when he did that. And Pat became Mr. Miyagi. 
Right. It was the, right. the fortunate, unfortunate thing of his life because, you know, we can talk about Arnold and happy days and everything else. Nobody now would remember Arnold from happy days. The whole world, they know Mr. Miyagi. They quote Mr. Miyagi. Um, Mr. Miyagi has become a, an icon. He's, he's become a catch-all from pe- for people. And um, Pat was the living embodiment of that. I mean, another actor would not have done that. I, I, I can't think of anybody else who, who would have done that. But he became Mr. Miyagi. It was, it was great, and then it was sad. So he was pretty much, um, yeah, I just love that, that you mentioned that he uh, made the words more three-dimensional. Um, to channel those people that he knows makes the character even more real. Yeah, yeah. No, Pat Morita was Mr. Miyagi. Right. He was Mr. Miyagi. He brought, nobody else could have done that. Nobody else in the, <laughs> fantastic. Nobody else in the world could have done that. And there's no other actor who could have done that. He became that person. Right. So totally and completely. And you never get tired of watching him. He's the father we all want. He's the, the all wise, all knowing, funny, kind, gentle man who you know will protect you forever. Right. Nobody can beat up Mr. Miyagi. No. Nobody. And no, and and out of his mouth comes wisdom, but in a funny way. Right. You know, everybody wants that in their life. Everybody wants Yoda. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. was Yoda. Right. Before Yoda, you know. Oh yeah, I've seen many arts of like Yoda looking like Miyagi and vice versa. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I see, see it all the time. Um, I've always been fascinated with like character names. Um, all three of your daughters' names were used in the Miyagi verse. Uh, you mentioned right. Ali with an I. Uh, Jessica right. is in part three, and right. kind of little known fact, but um, you know we we've spoken with John, Josh, and Hayden a number of times. Uh, they've invited me down to Sony, so I, I've been there to visit them, like you have. Uh, I've yeah, been to the, the set. Yeah, they're they're amazing. But Tori is mentioned in Cobra Kai. So Tori so the wife. Yeah. 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 And and you know what I, I and she hated it. <laughs> Couldn't believe it because she won't. She my daughter had, you know, growing up, I had her walking around the house in a gi and a headband, you know, and, and she's had it with the karate kid. It's like enough with the karate kid already. Um, and I didn't tell her. And I called the guys up and uh, I said, could you do this? And they said, sure, we'll do it. You know, they're great. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guys. And um, and so they did it. So her friends watch Cobra Kai, but she refuses. She won't do it. And all of a sudden she called me up. She said, did you? And I said, yeah. She said, how did you do that? I said, I have that power. <laughs> I, said, I said, would you like anything else in there? No, no. <laughs> Her friends are um, calling up from graduate school saying, Tori, your your dad, you're in the Cobra Kai. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm in Cobra Kai. Tori with a Y, really? Because she spells it Tori with a Y. So anyway, it was what it was. Um, were there any other characters you could think of that viewers may not know were named after real life people in your life? Uh, like, uh, was there any inspiration for like Chosen, oh, yes. Sato? Yeah, well, Daniel. Uh, Daniel and um, Johnny were my nephews. Mm. Uh, Lucille was their mother. Um, Chris, I just made up. Um, 
No, that that was about it. Daniel was Daniel. He was originally Daniel Weber, which was Daniel and Johnny's last name. And then we once Ralph walked in the door, was like, you don't look like a Weber. <laughs> You're definitely LaRusso. And, and their mother's maiden name was Lorenzo. Uh-huh. So I couldn't do Johnny Lawrence and uh, Daniel Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. So I did LaRusso instead. And that all came out of family. And you like to make things up, right? Uh, I think there is a quote that um, you're in the business of making shit up or something like that. I mean, yes, I always say that. I'm in, I work in the imagination factory. I'm in the make shit up business, right? Yeah. Uh, can you talk about like some of those uh, blocking uh, defenses and, and the, the, the lines that we quote every single day, the wax on, wax off, paint the fence, uh, sand the floor. I, I just made lines. them up because I, I've been studying Okinawan Goju Karate for my whole life. I mean, you know, I'm... Um, 73, I've been doing it since I'm 16 years old. And so all I did was take what is in Okinawan Goju in, in my system and, and you know, just made funny things up. So being the screenwriter, and um, can you remember the first time that you saw the reveal, right? When, when Daniel's like, you know, I've had enough of this and you're not teaching me karate. And then Mr. Miyagi is like, all right, show me all of this. For those that saw it for the first time, they didn't know it was coming. And it was like one of those early reveals. Do you remember like the experience of seeing that for the first time on film? Well, we, I saw them shooting it. Right. And, uh, and when, and shooting it, it looks terrible. (laughs) Because when you see that, because neither one of these nerds knew how to do any karate, they, they which was fine. They resisted learning. Uh, now, Ralph tells me the other day, he said, oh, you know, I'm training with this guy in, in Okinawa and Goju. Well, g- great, Ralph. It's 40 years later. <laughs> Wouldn't you think that you would have been prepared for this? You know, that sort of thing. And Pat also didn't want to learn. They didn't want to learn anything. They didn't want to do anything. And Pat Johnson, God bless him was uh, he did Taekwondo. He didn't, you know, he gave them karate moves. He didn't understand the inner workings of Okinawan Goju. If I, I would have done it, it would have looked completely different. Right. I said this to, to Demura Sensei when we were on set. I said, you know, you're going to have to forgive me that it doesn't look like uh, Goju. And he laughed. He said, he said, Robert, it doesn't look like anything. <laughs> he said, I don't recognize any of that. What is that? Um, when 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 John shot the uh, the scene where they do okay, show me wax on wax off, you know that sort of stuff, it looked terrible because they neither one of those guys could do anything. But when he from the angle he shot it, and when he edited it, it actually looked like they were doing something. But when they, <laughs> I just looked at it, well, I never forget. I was sitting behind John, and they were doing this, and I was just like this. I was this looks horrible. People are going to laugh at it, right? Laugh this film out of the theaters. It looks terrible. Pat could barely move, and Ralph didn't know what he was doing. He weighed eighteen. Look at look at Ralph when he was Danielson the first time. He had arms that were this thick. You know, his posture was terrible. You know, he bounced when he walked. You know, it was and and yet when when John shot the scene and he put it together, you actually bought that Daniel had learned these nonsensical moves that I made up, you know, it's it funny. Yeah. Um, of a lot of those uh, quotes from, from your movies, do you have a favorite one? You have to, 
Excuse um, me. <laughs> uh, I, there's, there's, no, come on. I've done 27 movies. It's, uh, it's just too much stuff. Um, I mean, The Karate Kid is like wax on, wax off. Everybody says wax on, wax off. It's become a um, part. It's become part of the the conversation. Um, you know, put them in a body bag. Um, how did you come up with that one? Like, it, it, I just made it. <laughs> what yeah. do you mean? How do I come up with any of this nonsense? Yeah. Um, there are a couple of lines in Taken that I love. I have a particular set of skills I love. Everyone loves that one. You, I will kill you. I love. Um, in the Karate Kid one, one of the kids uh, yells out to Daniel, "What is it? Take a worm for a uh, worm for a walk week." Right. And I thought that was a funny line. Nobody's ever picked up on that. But uh, the Karate Kid has a bunch of those, you know, a bunch it, of those things. It's very funny that you bring up that very particular line because um, just last October, I believe it was, in our Facebook group page, one of our members was like, what week is that actually? You know, and we were trying to deduce like, what we actually knew from the Karate Kid. And we know that it, 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 um, it happened after the dance. So it must have been like the first week of November. So for anyone that's curious about Take a work, uh, Worm for a Walk Week, it's it's probably the first week of November. <laughs> why, why are you asking me these things? Oh, I'm just, I'm just I'm kind of just commenting. Um, now the Cobras, right? We have Johnny, Bobby, Tommy, Jimmy. Um, now, was there a reason that you had that specific number? Like, well, why not just like two or three Cobras? Why that many? And th there was no reason whatsoever. And, it, and once again, John had a fill John had to fill the screen. He had to compose a shot. And how, how many kids do you need? And how many kids did you need in the, in the karate class? I remember when we were, when he was blocking the first Cobra Kai scene with the lines of kids, we had, he had to fill the, he had to fill the scene. He had, he had to fill the box. And so the lines became automatic. Um, and, uh, and we just cast kids. I used to say it was um, Billy Zapka and a box of boys because they were, they're basically just interchangeable. Nobody, you know, there's never, there's never a personality. The one that brought the most personality to any of the Cobras was uh, uh, Chad McQueen, who gave himself the name Dutch. I couldn't think of a name for him. I could, I was just like, okay, who do you want to be? He said, I'm going to be Dutch. I said, okay, you're Dutch. And he brought this weird personality, this weird personality to it, where the rest of them were just, you know, Cobras. And a lot of them have dined out on this for like 38 years. Whenever I see them, you know, they're, they were great guys. But, you know, they're basically some teenagers that were, you know, one had a line, one had a line, one had a line. There wasn't much of, it was Billy and his boys, a box of boys I used to call them. Um, now with the credit kid franchise, do, are you also approached with like pitches for sequels and things like that? Or do, or do the people go to Ralph? I have no idea what they do. Uh, oh. I mean, these guys, these guys, uh, called me up and said, you know, they want to do this thing. And, uh, and I said, well, you better get Ralph and Billy on board. And they already had, you That's know, amazing. and then they came up here for the weekend. They came up to my. Um, I, I have, I live on a vineyard here up in Sonoma and they came up for the weekend. We had this grand weekend and I was telling them stuff and just telling them stuff. And 
and now the stuff shows up in Cobra Kai. It's yeah. like, how do you do that? What is it with you guys? They said, well, we listened and I'm just, you know, throwing shit out. I'm just talking about stuff. And uh, because uh, Karate is, uh, and this, uh, the Miyagi verse is so much a part of my life. I mean, Mr. Miyagi is part of my life. And, and so I would say, you know, in, in, in Karate and Goju, we do this and we say this and we say, and then the stuff ends up there. They take it and they turn it into their, that particular wonderful stew that they make. Um, so it's, it's fun. And it's, and, you know, I'm so grateful to them that they, they could have just ignored me completely. I mean, you know, they, they had to get permission from Sony. I have the separated rights for the thing, all that. They could have ignored me completely. Instead, they call me all the time. They tell me what's going on. They, you know, they're wonderful people, the three of them, you know. Oh yeah. They, they, they are wonderful. Um, again, I, I've had the, you know, the, the pleasure of meeting them in person. And um, they're just very kind people. Uh, John, I met after Hayden, uh, a few months after I met Hayden and uh, went in for a professional handshake. And John's like, no, give me a hug, you know? So, so yeah. um, you know, we have that kind of relationship. And yeah, and you know, but you know what? They're very atypical. They're very unusual people <laughs> to be in the movie business because most people aren't, you know, I, I, I would just, you know, they went off, uh, Will Smith went off and did the, that karate kid thing for his right. son. And nobody remembers it. Nobody cares about it. Nobody thinks about it. It was very inauthentic. It was basically just a, you know, it was the, 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 the first film remade in a different way. Same story, scenes felt the same way and all of that stuff. I never heard from those people. I never, you know, it, it was, that was much more like the movie business. Mm. Much more like there's no, there's no sensitivity. There's no, and most people in the film business are like that. If they're doing a sequel and or something. They never contact the original author or anything. These guys keep me involved all the time, even when I don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like okay, teenage karate soap opera in the valley. Uh, how many times can you do the under eighteen karate championship, guys? How many? You know, can we be more specific? The All Valley Under 18 Karate Championship. What is that? And nobody questions it. Right. <laughs> the most yeah. ridiculous thing in the world. That, that, that's a good point you make, because in the first season there, you know, the committee, they even changed the color of the mats. Like at no point did you guys decide to change like the age range, you know, maybe start it a little bit later so you can go past 18. Well, the, the, when I when I first came up with that nonsense, I did it for a specific reason. And the reason was when you're over 18, you're, you're on the way to becoming an adult. 18 seems to be a tipping point, right? Yeah. But when you're 16 and 17, um, you're still a kid. You're still, you're a senior in high school and you're still a kid. And the things that you do are still um, defined by adolescence. When you're 18, you're already, you're a freshman in college. You're not a kid anymore. And so the under 18 was sort of symbolic of a kind of redepassage for Daniel. You know, I never thought that there would be another under 18 karate championship in Karate Kid 3. <laughs> it's like, how many times can you fight this thing? And now every Cobra Kai season, there's, <laughs> there's an under 18 championship and he, they find another kid 
you know, it's it is what it is. You mentioned but that's why I did it. I did it because of the the difference between being a child and and an adult. Is, right. You know. No, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense, obviously. Um, you, you mentioned the Karate Kid 3. Uh, when I spoke with Martin Cove um, a couple years ago, he had mentioned that he couldn't get out of this, this TV show uh, to do Karate Kid 3. And, and apparently that was supposed to be more uh, of him and that uh, Terry Silver was actually brought in a little bit later. Uh, do you remember what, what the... Yeah, yeah Marty, we only had Marty for a certain number of days. yeah. And so I had to come up with this whole ridiculous contorted, twisted plot to bring Thomas Ian Griffith in who, and Thomas is great and brilliant in season four of Karate Kid, uh, of Cobra Kai. He's, he's just great. And he's a wonderful human. He, he's another one of these wonderful human people. Um, and we needed a, I needed another contorted plot because Marty, we only had Marty for a certain number of days. And that was, uh, that was it. You know, well, was the the script had already been written when you guys found out that you only had Marty for a few days? Yeah. So, so, so you had to rework everything then. Yeah. Do you remember like any anything that was in the original script that you're like, oh man, this would have been really good? Uh, what I remember was, fuck, this is a lot of work. <laughs> How much time did you have to kind of rework the script? I don't remember, but I I didn't want to do Karate Kid three. I passed. Yeah. I took a pass. I said, uh, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do a big Kung Fu epic. I wanted to do Mr. Miyagi and Daniel because of certain things, actually a girl, I didn't even want Daniel, um, end up in 16th century China. The original story was Mr. Miyagi's ancestor got drunk in a boat and he ended up in China, right? A fisherman, he ended up in China. And I wanted to do a... Uh, a big flying people. This was before Crouching Tiger. I wanted, to, but I was I was addicted to Chinese to Hong Kong uh, flying people movies because I used to because I was deeply into martial arts and I would go down to Chinatown in New York every weekend with my friends from the Karate Dojo or when I taught my students and we'd go to the uh, Music Box Theater or the Sun Sing Theater and we'd watch flying people movies. You know they made no sense but they were great. And I wanted to do that. And I got shut down. And in half, I said, well, I don't want to do what you want to do. They wanted another Daniel meets a girl, the bad guy that, you know, they wanted that stuff. I didn't want that. And so I left. The regime changes at Columbia. And um, my friend Dawn Steele becomes chairman of the studio. And I uh, was, uh, never forget this scene. I was having lunch with a producer in New York in the Russian tea room, which I never went to. And it was like a big treat. And Dawn comes breezing in with two of her assistants trailing her. And uh, we see each other and we, her husband is one of my closest friends, Chuck Roven. And I see Dawn and, and she just, she says, listen, uh, I need to put a slate together. I need Karate Kid 3. And we have a script, but it's terrible. And Mr. Miyagi sounds horrible. And I want you to do it. And I said, Dawn, I don't want to do this. And she said, I'll give you X amount of dollars. And I said, I have bought and paid for it. I'm, uh, honey, I'm yours. I'll do exactly what you want. I don't care. And I, I, there was about five minutes where I hated myself. <laughs> and then I said, dude, you're in the film business. She just offered you a pot of money. You know, you're in the film business. What's wrong with you? Nobody cares about your integrity. 
oh, wait, you don't have any integrity. You're in the film business. <laughs> and, and I did it, but it, it was, I, I hated the experience. Now, what, what's stopping you from making that movie that you want to make with the Miyagi? No comment. No, okay, okay. Fair enough. Um, can um, I just say one thing? Nothing. Yeah. Okay, and I won't say anything else. Okay. okay. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about John, Josh, and Hayden. Um, what is it like to kind of see what they've done with Johnny and, and Daniel and um, to see the show blow up on Netflix? I'm, I'm astounded. I'm astounded. And I'm astounded that my name is on every episode because it's based on characters created by... And I'm just, I can't, I call them up after, you know, I binge watch it like everybody else. And I call them up all the time and I say, what, you people are shameless. I mean, what are you, how can you get away with this? <laughs> they're, they're amazing. They're, they're, and they're nerds. They're complete fanboy nerds of the Karate Kid. They remember, like the girl, did you see the last season, season three? Yes. Where they bring the girl back from the, the tower in the oh, storm yeah. Oh, yeah. and yeah. she now runs the whole division of Toyota Motors or whatever it is. Well, I only did that because we needed something for Daniel to do because it was me. Uh, Karate Kid 2 is really Miyagi's movie, really Miyagi's movie. And we needed something for Daniel to do. And I, I said, oh, let's do it. And it happened like this. Just, you know, let's do a storm. Why don't we do a storm? And let's put it. And this girl is up there ringing the bell. And never mind. Nobody knows that there are bells. There are no bell towers. Do you ever see a bell tower in Okinawa? No. <laughs> and what's a girl, a little girl doing up there? And she's up there ringing a bell. And Daniel runs up and he saves her. And it's the stupidest thing in the world. And these guys. <laughs> Brianna, is that you? I, I think so. Yeah. And it's the stupidest thing in the world. And, and it was a throwaway because I, John said, think something, think up something for him to do. That's, so I came up with that. You know, you're sitting around at night smoking a joint and it's like, here, do this. Next thing I know, they built a bell tower. They brought in <laughs> rain. Cliff Coleman brings in rain machines. They get this little 10 year old uh, Japanese girl and stick, stick her up there getting soaking wet. People are yelling. And the next thing I know, Josh, John, and Hayden have reintroduced her as a woman who just had, and you buy into it. I, I watched this. I called them up. I said, you guys are shameless. This is horrible. What else, what else do you have going? And then they had a whole bunch of other stuff going. I told them about pressure points and about that the, there's a very high form in uh, Okinawa and Goju where in the kata, you, you learn about how to do these things. And I told them about this a year and a half ago. We were sitting up here and, you know, on the, uh, out on our deck. And, and I, I was just going on and on and on. And next thing I know, it shows up with Yuji doing it. But of course, they did it in their version because they don't know anything about it. And then they tied it to an ancient scroll, which, you know, it, they're, ama they're amazing. And they know more about the Karate Kid films than I do. They quote things to me all the time and I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And I don't even remember <laughs> this, this stuff, but they're nerd. They're total karate kid nerds. They, yeah. It's, it's pretty, but they're grownups. Right. It's, it's very funny. Uh, what was it like for you to, to see uh, Tamlin and Yuji again on screen together? Uh, it, uh, it, 
uh, it made my when we did the the Josh Gad thing mm-hmm. and seeing and I wrote both of them notes and said I, I just because they they are part of my world. I mean, Yuji is the. Have you interviewed him? I have twice. Yeah, the nicest guy in the world, and he plays the asshole. Yeah, you know, he, he plays the jerk in the film, and he but he was perfect. He was great, and and Tamlin was. I mean, you know, you fall in love with this person as a teenager and you fall in love with her again as an adult. She's just, she exudes just wonderfulness yeah. and, and greatness. And then Nobu McCarthy, who played her mother, Mr. Miyagi's love, is now passed, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because it would have been great to have her because she was such a presence in the film. Pat doing a love scene with her. It was so wonderful. I, I thought it was great that they actually um, at least referenced her. Uh, that was really sweet to see. Um, now, w- obviously, with the absence of uh, Paparita and Mr. Miyagi, how, how do you think that uh, they've, um, you know, handled the character of Miyagi on the show and, and kind of keeping his spirit alive? You know, it, it's um, all you have to do is make mention of Mr. Miyagi. And it's a reference point for anybody who's seen the movies. And everybody conjures up all the images of Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel talks to the picture. He goes to the grave, you know, all that stuff. Um, Once you see a picture of him, it's like when you go into a dojo and see a picture of the real Miyagi, the Miyagi Chojin, who was the founder of my style. You come into a dojo, an Okinawan Goju dojo, his picture is there and it conjures up tremendous amounts of things. He's and Mr. Miyagi is that forever presence. Um, so they just have to flash, they just have to flash on a picture. Now, you know, uh, Tamlin doesn't have an accent. I don't, do. have you interviewed her? I have she not. Did, she's an American girl. She wasn't even an actress. She just went to try out for a part. And she all of a sudden became this Japanese girl, this Okinawan girl, demure, retiring, shy, respectful. That's not her at all. She's an American. She was an American teenager. You know, it was, it was quite a transformation when she did it because she brought such dignity to the role. Yeah. Beauty and dignity, you know? Um, The very first time I spoke with Yuji, it was really funny because he was talking about the scene where, um, you know, she, she tosses a a tomato at him and he has to take off the shirt, that whole deal. He said that Tamlin, she's like a guy. And I'm like, I was kind of thrown off by that comment, but he said that she just fits in with the guys, you know, like she's, I don't know. He didn't say tomboy, but that's kind of the impression I got. Yeah. She was not, not a Tom. She was just, she was an American kid. Yeah. You know, she was an American kid. Japanese woman would never, never do any of that stuff, you know, but, but, but she, she just fell into this role of this, you know, Japanese girl, like it, like actually more like an Okinawan girl, like a little island girl with dignity and grip, but a very limited repertoire of, you know, an emotional repertoire was they're all great. I mean, they live in my head forever. Of course, I don't remember. I had to rewatch the films to remember half the stuff. And I'm like, oh, did I write that? (laughs) Oh, I don't remember that. You know, it's like the scene of splitting the ice. You know, what nonsense. Oh, I, you know, that, so he, I, that's one of my favorite scenes uh, of all the movies. Or how about Mr. Miyagi slicing the bottles on the car? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You ever try that? I, no, I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, 
And that that scene was literally written the night before. That's yeah. Did you see the the challenge that people were doing a couple of years ago where they were um, kicking or doing whatever to the bottle bottle cap off of bottles? And I yeah. said Miyagi did it first, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's very uh, when when uh, when he does it, Ralph said, how'd you do that? Don't know. First time. <laughs> and, and and it's a stupid line, but Pat pulls it off and you buy into it and it's funny and it's warm and it's honest. Yeah, and you don't know if Mr. Miyagi did it before or if he didn't do it before, but he was being totally honest with Daniel. And, it, you know, he made everything work. He was, yeah. I, I say that he's the, he's the spoon that stirred the drink. I like that. The milkshake, you know, he made everything work without the combination of the two of them, right? Magic. Without Pat, no magic. Yeah. No magic. Uh, um, just to kind of imagine like what would it have been like to, to kind of see him around, you know, uh, when I first watched the very first season and in that episode where Daniel visits the tombstone, um, I noticed that the, the, the passing date of Mr. Miyagi was different than that of uh, 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 Pat's. And, and um, at the time, John was doing, you know, some Q&As here and there on Twitter. And I asked about that, um, that little detail. And to them, they wanted Mr. Miyagi to have been around the LaRussos long enough, you know, that Samantha knew him, that Amanda knew him. Um, so it's, it's kind of heartwarming to know that, uh, that he's been around their lives. Um, I know you're not really on uh, social media. And uh, as we oh. get ready to wrap up here, do you, do you have any, um, any comments that you, you want to like say to the fans that, that love your, your movies uh, that grew up on it and that are sharing it with their you know, family and kids? Yes, um, my residual checks, thank you. <laughs> uh, and nothing, I'm just always, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be flippant, but no, 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 I'm, no. I'm always, this has been going on for 38 years, yeah. is that I get residuals and I said, people are still watching this movie all over the world, all over the world. But and it's passed down. And we see a lot of people come up here to do wine tastings up at the vineyard. And we live on Yvonne and I live on the vineyard and I get to see a lot of people. And the number of people who said it was my favorite movie as a kid, it, there were people who came up and said it made a difference in my life. There were people who said, you know, I've watched it with my kids. I'm watching Cobra Kai with my grandchildren and I take them back and I show them the Karate Kid. I I'm astounded. I and I'm just, I'm so grateful that somehow I have channeled this thing that has affected the lives of so many people. I mean, the transporter did not affect the lives of a whole lot of people, except Jason Statham, it made him a star. But, but, uh, but this thing has affected so, so many lives and I didn't mean for it to do that. I meant to just write this nice little little film and yet it's taken and a lot of that has to do with Pat Morita. And I I, um, I feel terrible what happened to him. The last time I saw him, he was just a mess. He, it was just so sad. But um, I, I'm uh, astounded that it has touched so many people, touched so many people. I mean, how many times do you hear wax on, wax off? Just speaking of Josh Gad, I, my daughter and I went to see the Book of Mormon on Broadway, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, she, she's oversensitized to 
my outsized role in whatever this is I do. And so she just doesn't want to hear about it anymore. And there in the middle of one of his songs, he gets up and does the crane. <laughs> and she just, she looked at, I looked at her and she slunk down in her seat. <laughs> and, and she was just, and we were walking out of the theater and I said, Tori, she says, don't talk to me. And her <laughs> phone rings, her phone rings. And it's one or two, her friends start calling her. Apparently Liam Neeson let, um, Liam Neeson recorded his speech from Taken for his son's answering machine, answering on his phone, and people are calling it thousands of people just to hear it. And as we walk out of the theater, her friends are saying, you're not gonna believe this story. This is what I, and dad's thing, your dad's thing. And, this, and, and, and literally we come out of the theater and we're going left to go to Esco to go have dinner. And she calls a cab and she leaves. She said, I've had enough of you for one night. She said, I can't get away from this. But when Josh Gad just got up and did the crane, you know, this is, and everybody knows what it is. It's permeated the culture. Everybody knows about it. I, I never intended that, Peter. I mean, yeah. I was writing a sweet little film about my teacher and myself. Well, I, I, I'd imagine um, a lot of the fans would agree, but we thank you for it. Um, you know, like I said, my eight-year-old is just obsessed with it. He, he um, identifies that's, with Daniel. That's funny. Um, he loves mystery. See, uh, and I've told this story a few times too, but my, uh, my father-in-law kind of looks like Pat Morita, uh, oh except for he's Vietnamese. So, you know, he's about the same height and stature and right. um, very, it has a lot of wisdom. So my matter of fact, um, we were watching season three recently and uh, we saw the episode where chosen and Daniel fought. And, and so that came up and at some point my son was like, Daddy, you know, it's it's like it's like I'm Daniel and and he referred to his grandfather as like and he's like, Mr., you know, Mr. Miyagi. So that's that's pretty funny. It's also funny that you. Uh, you say that because you're Chinese Vietnamese, right? Uh, actually, I am Laotian of Vietnamese. Laotian. Oh, yeah. one of we we go to Luang Prabang every year. Oh, is that we right? Spend, we, we spend a lot of time in Laos. Yeah. Oh, but that's it's funny when you said that. It's like, oh, yeah, we all look alike. <laughs> we kind of do. We, we you really do, do not look alike. <laughs> well, I mean, I I, I, I I get Vietnamese all the time, and I'm like, well, I'm part. My wife, my wife is Vietnamese. Uh, okay. Yeah. It works but, for me. We 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 go to uh, we go to Southeast Asia every year. We spend a month banging around, and we have friends in Luang Prabang, and you know, we, I've never been. Uh, my dad keeps um, never been. Oh, well, my, Laos my, is a wonderful <laughs> country. They're fucking it up now, yeah. but it's quite wonderful. My dad said he wants to take me, but my wife's scared that I'm going to come back with another wife. <laughs> oh, you might. They're very cute. And, and they can fit right in a suitcase. They're very little. Yeah. And they're very, very cute. Yeah. But, they, but, but I must warn you, Peter, uh, uh, they're little, but they're very bossy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is my wife. I mean, yes. you didn't well, hear that she's from Vietnamese. me. <laughs> she's definitely very bossy. Yeah, she, she's also uh, 4'10". So. And very so. bossy. Yes, she'll fit in the suitcase too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, sir. Um, hang on while we uh, finish up, but uh, we'll go ahead and close off the, the live feed. Um, I want to thank everybody that uh, tuned in to, to um, my discussion here with Robert Mark Heyman. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. And so um, the more Miyagi, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about Pat as well. And if you guys want to see more of those stories and haven't seen it yet, more than Miyagi is available on iTunes, Vudu, 
uh, Amazon, I believe, as well. Um, and it is available for purchase of uh, the Blu-ray DVD, 12 additional scenes. Um, so, yeah, definitely check it out. I, I really quite enjoyed it. So we'll end it right there, sir. We'll, uh, we'll wait for Brianna to come back and, and, and let you go. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.